Good morning. Good afternoon, Kyla. On Wednesdays, we feed the homeless, but not this Wednesday coming up because it's the last Wednesday of the month. The next women's Bible study is November 3rd. Thursday, November 3rd. The next men's Bible study is Saturday, November 5th. The next youth night is Thursday, November 10th. I think so. We'll see. I'll it. I just play volleyball. I can. I can. They just play volleyball all the time. Yeah. I can help. I can leave. Yeah. Joel can help. That's a great YouTube group. I'm sure. I'm sure we'll figure it out. Yeah, Joel can help. <laughs> you gotta step in when Dad's not here. That's, That's right. That's right. Yeah, we're lots of And then sign up for emails. Send out an email once a week. To let you know what's going on. Give you a reminder. Or you can check out the calendar on the website. Right? Mm -hmm. With that, should we pray? We have lots of reading today. Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for your love, for your mercy, for your grace. I thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice on the cross. That you're willing to, to sacrifice for us for the forgiveness in each and every one of our sins, that we could be made right with you because of the work that you've done. I thank you for the way you create each one of us, how you have a plan and a purpose for us, how you have a, a desire to use us to serve your kingdom, to serve you. I thank you for all that you do for us. I ask that you would give us um, just ears and hearts to receive your word, that you would draw us closer to you, that your words would be spoken here today. I ask that you would Protect us, each one of us here, each one of us that's listening. Protect us physically, but also put a hedge of protection over us spiritually. Keep the enemy from lying to us, deceiving us, misleading us. Draw us closer to you. I ask you to watch over this community, this nation. That you would draw the leadership in this nation to you. That we would be led by men and women who love you and who choose to follow you. It's in your mighty name, Jesus, we pray all these things. Amen. So we are going to finish up Romans chapter 11 today. We have to take a pretty major detour. We're going to look at the book of Job. Have you ever been in the book of Job, Kelly? No? Oh. We're going to look at the book of Job today. If you need a Bible, let me know. I have one for you. Oh, well, not all of it's going to be on the screen today. When we get to Job, we're just going to read it from the Bible. Okay? So we're going to start on in Romans chapter 11, verse 28. Um, Paul is really just leading us through... Who God is, um, who Jesus is in our lives, his love for us, um, the struggle that we have between following him and our sinful thoughts, our sinful desires, um, and how that's a constant battle. Even Paul in his 
mature state that he's in of being a Christian, he struggles with it. So it's something that we can expect to struggle with probably for all of our lives. But just because we struggle doesn't mean that we lose the battle. And Paul is um, explaining to us over and over again who God is, how much he loves us, how much he cares for us. Um, we looked at some tough areas where God could be misconstrued as this mean or harsh God, and this is another one today. That God could be misconstrued as this mean or harsh God, and it depends on how you view him. And are you just going to look at the, the story superficially, or are you going to take a deeper look? Um, and if you look at it superficially and make a quick judgment on who God is, you can make the wrong judgment. You could be like the servant that was given the thousand talents and chose to go bury him because, oh God, you're such a harsh God. You plant where you haven't sown. You reap what you haven't harvested. You steal from others. You mistreat people. Um, but the problem was that that servant didn't know the real God, didn't know the God that we serve, right? So we don't want to make that same mistake. We don't want to make a quick judgment on God's character looking at a story superficially, right? So... Paul is continuing to take us through all these areas um, to help us have a better defining understanding of who this God is we serve, even when it's tough, even when we don't understand it. Um, it's not, not because he doesn't love us. So, Romans chapter 11, verse 28. Many of the people of Israel are now enemies of the good news. And this benefits you Gentiles, yet they are still the people he loves because he chose their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this benefits the Gentiles. This benefits us because we, the church, have been chosen to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the entire world. That was God's plan for the Jewish nation was to, to point the, the world to his son Jesus, to the Messiah. But they chose to reject him, and now God has chosen to use the Gentiles, the rest of the world, to point everyone else to his son, to point to the Savior, who is Jesus. Um, and remember, God chose the nation of Israel not because they were exceptional at anything, rather just because he chose them, because that was the best way for him to display his love. In a nation that was faithless to him, that continued to reject him over and over again, that he would choose to love them. We've been over this many times. Love is a choice, not a feeling. Love is um, sacrificing. When Jesus or when the Word of God talks about love, it's a self-sacrifice. Laying down, um, denying ourselves, picking up our cross and following Jesus. That's what love is. So, we'll continue on. Romans chapter 11, verse 29. For God's gift and his call can never be withdrawn. Once you Gentiles were rebels against God, but when the people of Israel rebelled against him, God was merciful to you instead. God's gift is for his son. So God's gift of his son will never be withdrawn. God's gifts to us will never be withdrawn. God will never remove his son from us, from our hearts. When we ask Jesus into our hearts, he never leaves us. He never abandons us. The opportunity is always there for all people. God's gift to the world was the sacrifice of his son. And God doesn't withdraw that gift for anyone. That gift is available to everyone. And we've been over this. God doesn't 
harden hearts that don't already want to be hardened. God doesn't separate people from himself that don't already want to be separated. God gives us the desires of our hearts. And his gifts are never withdrawn. His call can never be withdrawn. The plan and the purpose that he has for our lives doesn't change. He doesn't withdraw them because we fall short or because we screw up, right? He still has that plan and purpose for our lives. Even when we don't fulfill that plan and purpose, even when we don't do what he's asked us to do, he still loves us. He's still patient with us. He's still kind with us, right? So, again, God has chosen us, the Gentiles, to share the good news to the rest of the world. That is our job. To point people to Jesus. We can do that by our lives, how we live our lives, how we love others, how we treat others. We can do that with our lives a lot better than we can with our words, right? Words can be cheap. Words can be deceiving. But our lives, how we act, how we treat others, has a lot to say with who we believe in and who Jesus is to us, right? Our lives speak volumes to other people. When we profess to be Christians, but we live like the rest of the world, then we're not really being in the light and a witness to Jesus. So, how we choose to live, how we choose to treat others, speaks volumes about who Jesus is in our lives. And we can either point people, we can either be a good light and a witness, or we can be a bad witness. But one way or another, we are a witness to Jesus when we profess to be Christians. So, how we treat others each and every day, that's the... The person on the phone when we're waiting on hold to talk to, to someone um, about a service call, about uh, an insurance claim, about anything. How do we treat others? Are we loving? Are we patient? Are we kind? Even when the situation isn't easy to be that way? Or do we get short-tempered? Do we um, get upset? Do we lash out at others? So it's our choice how we live and how we choose to reflect God's light, the light of his son. We'll continue on Romans 11 verse 31. Now they are rebels and God's mercy has come to you so that they too will share God's mercy. For God has imprisoned everyone in disobedience so he could have mercy on everyone. So this Verse 32, God has imprisoned everyone in disobedience so he could have mercy on everyone. Um, I think the New King James probably puts it a little bit easier to understand. The New King James says, For God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. So God has given them the desires of their hearts. They've wanted to live in disobedience, live a life separate from God, and God's allowed that. And God's allowed that so that his mercy could be shown even more, right? That we make mistakes, that we screw up, that we once lived a life very separate from God, and that his mercy was that he didn't judge us while we were eyeballs deep in sin, that he loved us and he forgave us when we asked him into our lives, right? His mercy was magnified even more. We didn't deserve it. We don't deserve the, the work that Jesus did on the cross. We don't deserve Jesus' sacrifice. What we deserve is, is death. What we deserve is punishment for our sins. And we've all sinned. We've all sinned greatly. But God forgives us. He loves us. And he draws us closer to him. And we have that opportunity to receive Jesus into our lives and be forever changed. 
So continuing on, Romans 11.33. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible is it for us to understand his decisions and his ways? How great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible is it for us to understand his decisions and his ways? For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? So how great is God that someone can give him advice? Or how are we to understand his decisions and his ways? And there's some other places that we'll take a look at this that kind of expands on this. But ultimately, we're going to end up in the book of Job. Um, But first, we'll look at Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than the ways, than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So while we look at things from a mere human perspective, from what's going on in our lives here on earth, God's looking at things from a heavenly perspective. What's the, what's the eternal outcome? What's the big picture? While we try and have a big picture view of maybe our lives, how does this affect our whole lives? Um, or a bigger picture view of how does this affect those around us or our nation? God is looking at it from a heavenly, eternal perspective. How does this affect eternity? How does this affect my entire creation? Which is more than just this world. God created the universe. God created everything. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways. So who can understand what God's doing? Who can give him advice? And the answer is no one. We'll also look at Isaiah chapter 40. Verses 12 and 13. Well, actually, we'll expand past that. We'll probably go to verse 15. So Isaiah 40, starting here in verse 12. Who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth? Who has weighed the mountains and the hills on a scale? So think about that. Who knows the weight of the earth? Does Google know the weight of the earth? They'll give you an estimate, but God knows the exact weight of the earth. He's weighed the mountains on a scale, he says. Who else can do that? See, our God is higher. Our God's ways are bigger, more in a way that we can't even imagine or fathom, right? That's, That's who he is. He is a great and mighty God. So we'll continue on here in verse 13. Who is able to advise the spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or teach him? So who teaches God? No one. No one teaches God. God knows all, right? God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God has the plan all figured out. God, nothing catches him by surprise. He's not learning as he goes. He already knows everything. All-knowing all-powerful, almighty God. And he's also an all-loving God. A loving God so much that he was willing to sacrifice his one and only son for us, for our sins, so that we could be made right with him. So a God that's willing to do that, to sacrifice his own child, 
his only child. How much does that mean he loves us? It's pretty big. It's more than we could understand. His ways and thoughts are higher than ours. So continue it on here in Isaiah 40, verse 14. Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right or show him the path of justice? No, for all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. There are, they are nothing more than dust on the scales. He picks up the whole earth as though it were a grain of sand. So this whole big earth and how much it weighs, what does he do? He picks it up like it's a little grain of sand. Doesn't even bother him. Doesn't even, not even noticeable. That's how big and mighty our God is. So with that understanding of who God is, we're going to take that into this story of Job. And we're going to read a few of the chapters in Job here. Um, and, and remember, if you take this quick, superficial view of this story of Job, and you make this quick judgment on God's character, you could easily judge God's character wrong. So you have to be patient and take a deeper understanding of, of who God is. And there's 42 chapters in the book of Job, and we're going to read half, okay, maybe a quarter, okay, 10%. We'll read 10% of them. What's 10% of 42? I think you are. Yeah, the book of Job. Yes. Yes, the book of Job is right before Psalms. What is 10% of 42? What's 10% of 40? Job chapter 1 and chapter 2. And this is going to set the stage for what's going on. We're going to skip some of the stuff in the middle, and I'll just explain it to you. Um, I don't want to paraphrase these first two chapters because there's a lot going on, and I think it's important that we just read what God himself is saying. So, there once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, and 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. Job's sons would take turns preparing feasts in their homes. They would also invite their three sisters to celebrate with them. When these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, Job would purify his children. He would get up early in the morning and offer a burnt offering for each of them. For Job said to himself, Perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. So Job is a man of God. He loves God. He is a faithful servant to God. One day, the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. 
Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, Yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabians raided us, they stole all the animals and killed all the farmhands. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burnt up your sheep and all the shepherds. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels, killed your servants. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters are feasting in their oldest brother's home. Suddenly a powerful wind swept from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides, the house collapsed, and all your children are dead. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Job stood up, tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had. The Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all this... Job did not sin by blaming God. So we read in this first chapter that that Satan has um, this conversation with God um, and that God is asked, have you seen my servant Job, how righteous he is, how blameless he is, you know, how he loves me so much. Satan says, well, the only reason he loves you is because you give him all these blessings. You've made him rich, you know. If you take away his riches and his blessings, um, that you would, he would curse you to your face. So Satan, Satan is accusing Job of not being who God says he is, right? God says Job is this way, a righteous man, and Satan says, no, he's not. And, and that still happens today. God says we are his children. We are loved. He has a plan and purpose for us. And the enemy wants to come against us and say, no, you're not. You're not worthy of that. You can't be forgiven of that. God can't use you in that way. You can't be that light and a witness to these people. You can't have God's peace and patience to walk through this situation you're in, right? So God tells us one thing and the enemy tells us another. That still happens today. We get to see that. We also get to see that um, 
God is not the one that, that caused this calamity in Job's life, right? God allowed it, but God didn't cause it. Who caused it? Satan did, right? So the enemy causes calamities in our life. While God allows them, he has a plan and a purpose for it, even in the suffering, which is very hard to understand and very hard to receive, but God has a plan and a purpose. And we're going to get to that here at the end. So we'll go into chapter two here. One day, the members of the heavenly court came again to present themselves before the Lord and the accuser Satan came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless. So God is defining who Job is. God says this is who he is. He's the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. He has maintained his integrity, even though you urged me to harm him without cause. Satan replied to the Lord, skin for skin, a man will give up everything he has to save his own, his life, but reach out and take his health and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, do with him what you please, the Lord said to Satan, but spare his life. Satan left the Lord's presence, and he struck Job with terrible boils from head to foot. He scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. But Job replied, You talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in this, Job said nothing wrong. So his wife tells him, you know, why are you trying to maintain your integrity? Obviously, you have some great sin in your life that you're hiding. And that's why all this bad thing is happening to you. But we learn that that's not true, right? God says he's blameless. There is no this great sin in his life that he's hiding. And that's not why this has happened to him, right? So difficult situations, bad things happen to good people and it's not because necessarily there's sin in your life can it happen because of sin in your life absolutely when tough times come should you be praying to god and ask god god is there some unconfessed sin that's caused this sure that's a great place to start and then after that if there's no sin accept it for what it is it's a bad situation it's a bad outcome but god's not done yet right he doesn't stop in the middle of the story he doesn't stop in the middle of the book he doesn't stop in the middle of our lives. God still has a plan and a purpose for us. And God has a plan and a purpose for Job. And this all sounds very awful for him and very terrible to go through. But God is not going to let it happen in vain. It's not just going to be some thing that happens that there's no purpose for. God has a plan and a purpose for Job's life in this. Even though it's difficult to see. So we'll continue on here in, in chapter 2. Verse 11, when three of Job's friends heard of, heard of the tragedy he had suffered, they got together, traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Their names were Ephaz, the Telemite, Bildad, the Shulite, the Shushite, and Zaphir, 
the Namanite. When they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes and threw dust into the air over their heads. To show their grief, they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. So, that's where chapter 2 ends, and we're going to... Well, we're going to take a, another little detour from Job here. But there's some, something that I want to point out. When people are going through these unbelievably difficult situations, these unbelievably difficult times, his three friends show up. They mourn with him. They're wailing with him. But they also don't say a word. They just listen, right? They just sit there with him. They don't say a word. They don't do anything. There's this tough situation, um, and oftentimes the best thing you can do is just be there for your friend and listen. Now, his friends don't stay in this place. They, they want to give him all kinds of advice and, and ask him to um, confess his sin that there is not in his life. There is no sin in his life that's caused this, right? That this is something that has happened, that the enemy has brought upon him to try to get Job to curse God. Right? The enemy is trying to tempt Job into cursing God. And then that's what Satan wants. Satan wants Job to curse God and separate himself. Get into sin and separate himself from God. And that's what, said, that's what the enemy wants in our lives. The enemy wants to tempt us into sin and separate ourselves from God. Okay? So, we're going to go take a little detour from Job and go back to the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. We're only going to look at these two verses, 12 and 13, and then we're going to come back to the book of Job. We're going to come back to Job chapter 10. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 and 13. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So I think in my life, God has always shown me a way out. Anytime that I was tempted into sin, there was always an exit door, always an escape. And it was always my choice to follow that or not. So God does not do the tempting, right? We see that the enemy does the tempting, but God shows us a way of escape from this sin. So the enemy is tempting Job, trying to get Job to curse God, right? And God is going to show Job a way out. And, and God is not going to allow Job to be tempted with more than, than, what, um, than what he can stand. That's what God promises us. So when these temptations come, God knows who we are. He knows what the temptation is. And he knows what we can stand right? So it's never, oh, I, I couldn't, it was just that Satan made me do it. The, you know, um, my sinful nature made me do it. No, 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 that's not true. What happens is we choose to give in to that temptation. We choose to give in to whatever it is, whatever sin that separates us from God. God knows what we can stand and he never allows this temptation to be more than we can handle. It's never to overpower us as believers. Okay. And we're talking about Job, who is a believer. So, 
For the rest of the world, I don't think that you can make this, this claim. But for believers, you can make this claim. God doesn't allow you to be tempted with more than you can stand. Okay. We'll go back to Job chapter 10. So his friends, you know, have come and then they're going to plead with Job. Just confess your sins, Job, and, and God will, will forgive you and, and you'll be restored and be made right. But you have to confess your sins. This is clearly a hidden sin in your life. You've deceived us all. You pretend to be this righteous person when you're really not. Obviously, God has punished you for just cause. And they just continue to argue with him. And you'll see that for the next 30 chapters. So I'll spare you that. We won't read all 30. But here in chapter 10, Job is, is kind of wanting to, to be able to state his case to God, wants to plead with God. So, so we'll read through kind of Job's response to his friend and his, his pleading with God, wanting to state his case. You know, If I could just talk to God and explain it to him, we could straighten all this out. So Job chapter 10. I am disgusted with my life. Let me complain freely. My bitter soul must complain. I will say to God, don't simply condemn me. Tell me the charge you bring against me. What do you gain by oppressing me? Why do you reject me, the work of your own hands, while smiling on the schemes of the wicked? Are your eyes like those of a human? Do you see only as people see them? Is your lifetime only as long as ours? Is your life so short that you must quickly probe for my guilt and search for my sin? Although you know I am not guilty, no one can rescue me from your hands. So he's taking this, this short-sighted view of God, and he's going through an awful time. And you could almost have sympathy for him or, or empathy for him saying, Oh, how could anyone endure such an awful thing? And he's taking this short view. You know, God, are you only looking at this through human hands? Or is your life so short as ours? Or he's bringing God down to his level. Remember, God's ways are higher than our ways. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And Job's bringing him down, you know, just wanting to talk to him. And Job is, is going through this awful time. He's had all this calamity in his life. And now he has his friends who are, are just arguing with him and, and beating him down and and how awful that would be in itself, you know, how much more, you know, tough times can I handle? So we'll continue on in verse eight of chapter 10. You formed me with your hands. You made me yet. Now you completely destroy me. Remember that you made me from dust. Will you turn me back into dust soon? You guided my conception and formed me in the womb. You clothed me with skin and flesh. You knit my bones, sewn together. You gave me life and showed me your unfailing love. My life was preserved by your care. Yet your real motive, your true intent, was to watch me. And if I sinned, you would not forgive my guilt. If I am guilty, too bad for me. And if... And even if I am innocent, I can't hold my head high because I am filled with shame and misery. And if I hold my head high, you haunt me like a lion and display your awesome power against me. Again and again, 
you witness against me. You pour out your growing anger on me and bring fresh armies against me. Why then did you deliver me from my mother's womb? Why didn't you let me die at birth? It would have been as though it would be as though I never existed, going directly from the womb to the grave. I have only a few days left, so leave me alone that I may have a moment of comfort before I leave, never to return, for the land of darkness and utter gloom. It is a land of dark it is a land as dark as midnight, and a land of gloom and confusion, where even the light is dark as midnight. So Job is, is struggling with his friends. He's struggling with God. He's bringing God down to his level, but yet he still isn't cursing God. He isn't in sin, right? He's enduring through this tough, tough time in his life. And then, well, we're going to look at Psalm 18, verse 30. And then we'll come back and finish up Job. So Psalm 18, verse 30. God's way is perfect. All the Lord's promises prove true. He is a shield for all who look to him for protection. So again, God's way is perfect. All the Lord's promises prove true. He is a shield for all who look to him for protection. So Job's friends are trying to to paint this picture to Job that God is against you when that's not true. God is Job's shield. Even through this tough time, God is Job's shield. And and they're trying to tempt him and, and get him away from God. And Job is struggling with that. He's wrestling with that, as, as we all would be. Because um, there's this misconception that this bad thing has happened, and you must have made God angry. And now God is paying you back. Because, you know, we serve this angry God, and he's just waiting for you to screw up to strike you down. Which is not true. That's not the God we serve. He's not an angry God. He is a very, very loving God who loves us to the very end. The very end of our lives here on earth or to the end of eternity. Whichever we choose, we can choose to receive him and he'll love us to the end of eternity, which is an unending love, or to the end of our lives here on earth. And if we choose to reject him at the end of our lives here on earth, live our whole life that way, never receiving his son, and we'll live eternally separated from him, separated from his light, separated from his love. And that that's not his will, his will that all would turn and repent. So we serve this very loving God, not this harsh God, not this God that's waiting for us to screw up, to strike us down. But that's what Job's friends are telling him, and Job is starting to, to come around to that way of thinking. So we'll go to the end of, of Job here, to chapter 38. So Job's three friends go round and round and round with him, back and forth, and, and, and then when they're done, they, they have no more words for him. They can't go any longer. This young man comes up, this, and he goes round and round with Job for a few more chapters. Um, and again, just trying to press Job, confess your sin, confess your sin, confess your sin. Obviously you've sinned. No. Bad things happen in our lives, not because of sin always. Could it be because of sin? Yes. But sometimes bad things happen in good people's lives just because of the way, just because of that is how it is. That's how it happens. This so happens to be what's happening in Job's life. But God doesn't stop in the middle. God is going to complete the story. He's going to 
Continue Job's story. So here, chapter Job chapter 38. We'll get to see God's response to Job now. Pages too far. Okay. So Job chapter 38. This is God's response to Job. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you. And you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the survey line? What supports its foundations? Who laid its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb? And... As I clothed it with clouds, wrapped it in thick darkness, for I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this is, I said, this far and no further will you come. Here, your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you made daylight spread to the ends of the earth? to bring an end to the night's wickedness. As the light approaches, the earth takes shape, like clay presses beneath a seal. It is robed in brilliant colors. The light disturbs the wicked and stops the arm that is raised in violence. Have you explored the springs to which the sea comes? Have you explored their depths? Do you know where the gates of death are located? Have you seen the gates of utter gloom? Do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me about it if you know. Where does light come from? Where does darkness go? Can you take each to its home? Do you know how to get there? But of course you know all this, for you were born before it was created. You were so very experienced. Have you visited the storehouses of the snow or seen the the storehouses of hail? I have reserved them as weapons for the time of trouble, for the day of, of the battle and war. For is the path to the source of light, where is the home of the east wind? Who created the channel for the torrents of rain? Who laid out the path for the lightning? Who makes the rain fall on barren land in the desert where no one lives? Who sends rain to satisfy the parched ground and make the tender grass rise up? Does the rain have a father? Who gives birth to the dew? 
Who is the mother of the ice? Who gives birth to the frost and from the heavens? For the water turns to ice as hard as a rock, and the surface of the water freezes. Can you direct the movement of the stars, binding the cluster, cluster of Pleiades or loosening the cords of Orion? Can you direct the sequence of the seasons or guide the bear and her cubs across the heavens? Do you know the law of the universe? Can you use them to regulate the earth? Can you shout to the clouds and make it rain? Can you make lightning appear and cause it to strike as you direct? Who gives, inst who gives institution to the heart and instinct to the mind? And that's an important one. Who gives institution who gives in, intuition i'm sorry yeah who gives intuition to the heart and instinct to the mind who is wise enough to count all the clouds who can tilt the water jars above heaven when the parched ground is dry and the soil is hardened into clouds can you stalk the prey of the lioness satisfying the young lion's appetite as they lie in their dens and crouch in the thicket? Who provides food for the ravens when their young cry out to God and wander about in hunger? So, all these things that God's, and he's going to continue to go on for the next few chapters. But God's asking Job, can you do any of this? Is any of this in your realm? You who, who think you understand what's going on or you think you know who I am, you don't. You can't do any of this. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So then in, in chapter 40, Job responds. Then Job replied to the Lord, I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I have said too much already. I have nothing more to say. And then God continues to ask him, can you do... All these things, can your voice, does it rain like thunder? You know, who created um, behemoth, he talks about. And I think behemoth is a brontosaurus, a brontosaurus dinosaur that he's talking about. He's got a tail like a cedar tree. Um, or Leviathan, these great beasts that he's, he's created. Who can control them? No, you can't control them, Job. I can. I'm the one that... Um, has created all this. I'm the one that holds it, and it's no weight for me. It's not heavy for me. It's not a burden for me. All this that is that I have, the earth, all the universe, it, it's all like a, a grain of sand in my hand, not even noticeable. That's how mighty and powerful our God is. That's how expansive he is. That's how amazing he is. So God is not done with Job, but he's making it clear to Job who he is. The Job, from his human perspective, has no right to question God. That Job doesn't understand the beginning from the end. That in the midst of the fire and the trial, Job can't see through the forest. But God can, and that God's on the other side. And when we feel that there's no way we'll make it through this, that I can't imagine going through this, I can't imagine making it to the other side, I can't imagine an end to the grief, to the suffering, to the pain, God knows. God sees the other side, and God will get Job through this. God will get all of us through that. But that's not an easy thing to stay, and that's not an easy thing to understand or receive. It's a very difficult thing to, 
receive in our hearts that even through this unsurmountable pain and grief, God is there and that God can see through to the other side and that God can use what was once meant for evil and turn it to something for good in the way that only God can. So we'll finish up here in chapter 42. So Job chapter 42. So then Job replied to the Lord. After the Lord has questioned him again on, on many other things, Job replies, I know that you can do nothing and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I, and I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. So while Job never curses God, never does what Satan accuses him that he's going to do, when God asks, who said these things, you know, who has questioned me, and Job doesn't deny it, Job confesses what he's done. It is I. I've said these things. And, and what does God do? God will forgive him. God will love him. God will restore him. And that's what we're about to read. So continue on chapter 42, verse 4. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. So Job's confessed. He's repented for what he said. He still has never cursed God like Satan accused him of. And what does God do? After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Ephaz the Telemite, I am so angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken accurately about me. My servant Job has. So take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer on your behalf. I will not treat you as you deserve, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. So Elphiaz the Telemite, Bilidad the Shushite, and Zophar the Telemite did as the Lord commanded them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as was there before. Then all his brothers and sisters and former friends came and feasted in Job's home with him. And they consoled him and comforted him because of all the trials the Lord had brought against him. And each of them brought him a gift of money and a gold ring. So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life, even more than in the beginning. For now he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, a thousand team of oxen, and a thousand female donkeys. He also gave Job seven more sons and three more daughters. He named the first daughter Gemma, the second Kiza, and the third Karen Hippo. In all the land, no women were as lovely as the daughters of Job. 
and their father put them into his will along with their brothers. Job lived 140 years after that, living to see four generations of children and grandchildren. Then he died an old man who had lived a long, full life. So these three men, they go on to, to wrestle with Job and, and they misrepresent God. God doesn't take kindly to that. Um, but even though they've, they have brought this calamity on Job too, in the midst of his suffering, they're attacking him. Um, Job still prays for them. And what does God tell us to do? What are we to do? We're to pray for our enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. And that's so, so difficult to do. But with God, all things are possible. So while God allowed this calamity in Job's life, God knew what Job was, was capable of, what he could handle. Um, and not to say that God gives us, never gives us more than we can handle, but in the way of temptation, God always shows us a way out. Um, but God absolutely does give us more than we can handle in an effort that we'll turn to him. And where does Job continually turn? We read it at just brief glimpses of it, but he continually turns to God. He never abandons God. He never curses God. He never walks away from God saying, no, God must not exist. No, he continues to turn to God and pleads with God. God, just let me plead my case to you. I don't understand what's going on, right? And that's what we get to do. God, I don't understand what's going on, but let me turn to you. Let me ask you for help. Let me rely on you. Let me trust in you. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're told to do. So we will finish up in Romans here. We'll continue in chapter 11, verse 35. And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? This is in reference to God. Who has given God so much that God needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. So everything is intended for God's glory. The purpose of life is to give God glory. God is worthy of all of our glory and praise. And that we can trust God for who he says he is. God can tell us who we are. And the enemy can tell us who we are. And it's our choice to believe which one is right and which one is wrong. And it's always, always, always God who is right. The enemy, the deceiver, is not right. Some of the enemy's accusations about us are true. Some of the things we have done. But when we receive Jesus, we get to go before God with a pardon. Yes, we have sinned, but Jesus has paid our price for that sin. So while the enemy may accuse us of things we have done, we have this pardon in Jesus. But the enemy also accuses us of things who we are not. The enemy says that, you are this way. Oh, you must have these feelings, so you must be this type of person. This is who you really are, and that's not true. The enemy deceives us. The enemy lies to us. Um, and it's our choice to trust God at his word or to believe into those lies and the deceptions, that temptation of the enemy, that this is who you are when it's not true. The enemy said that Job, got, that Job would curse God to his face, that that's the real man he was. That's really who you are, Job. And that's not true. That's not who Job was. He never did curse God to his face. God knew who Job was. God knew that Job was a righteous, uh, faithful man. So, God does what he says he'll do. 
And Romans 8.28 makes that clear. And you get to see that through the book of Job. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So God causes everything to work together for good. So that means that there won't always be good in our lives, right? Not everything that happens to us is good. But God is going to work that out. He's going to work that together for the good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So for his believers, which Job was a believer in God. That's how the story of Job starts out. That he was a faithful man of God. God will work everything to good for in Job's life. Either good here on earth or eternal good. That God has a greater plan for us. And, and this life here on earth is but a vapor. But the eternal good, the bigger picture, is that God has it worked out for the believers. And that the bad things that happen in our lives aren't necessarily from God, aren't caused by God, aren't always because of some sin in our life. But God will work it for good, right? When we believe in him, when we trust in him, when we believe, I believe who you say you are, God. I believe you at your word. When you tell me your promises, you hold them all true. You never fail. And I believe you. And in the midst of this difficult time, this difficult trial, I trust that you will somehow work this for good. I don't know how. I don't see it happening. I don't know how it's possible, but I trust and I believe that you will. And we get to see that in Job's life. Job, through these awful tragedies in his life, God is still able to work it for good. And one of the ways God works it for good is God uses Job's life to teach us. That he puts him in his word. That God helped Job that highly. And we get to see how highly Job, God held Job. And he loved him. That he was a faithful man. That God had great um, respect for Job. You get to see that. And how amazing is that? So these trials that Job went through, these awful times that you think are unfathomable, are, are nothing to Job now, right? He's in eternity, in paradise with Jesus. That, that awful time here on earth that he went through was but a vapor. Just a brief moment. And while it was difficult in the midst of it to see it to the end, God can see to the end. So this was another, I think, tough area to go through. Well, and it brings up lots of tough questions, tough emotions. Um, but it's our choice. We can believe that we serve a loving God or we can believe what Job's friends were saying. that You serve this harsh God and he was waiting for you to screw up and strike you down. And now he has. You must have sin in your life. And that's not true. We serve this very loving God. And it's our choice to believe that or to deny. So, do you have any questions? Yes. Yes? I figured you would. Why did, did God let Satan do that to him? Why did God allow that to happen in Job's life? Mm -hmm. That is a very good question. And I would say to you that God knows the beginning from the end. God knew how Job would react, right? And that God knew that Job would be faithful and that he would not curse him. And that God allowed that testing in Job's life to refine Job. I would say to you that Job's faith after that was probably a whole lot stronger. What did Job say? I'd only heard about you before and I believed, but now I've seen you. So Job has this conversation with God. And, and I don't know if I would say that Job physically saw him, but Job fully understands who God is now. God revealed himself fully to him. I, I know who you are, God. And now 
my faith in you is even stronger. And his faith was strong before, right? And now it's even stronger on the other side of that trial. So while it's hard to understand why would God allow this bad thing in my life, oftentimes it's because it strengthens our faith in him and draws us closer to him. Usually when tragedy strikes, people turn to God. And we should turn to God just because he's worthy of it, right? Just because he's an amazing, loving, awesome God. But sometimes it takes tragedy for us to draw closer to him. Does that make sense? Yeah, but wouldn't it, if he was already always assuring you God, he loved him, he heard about him. Well, it said he was faithful and blameless. Oh. But it, I wouldn't say that he was, doesn't say he was perfect. There still was more growing than Job could do. Job, even though being faithful and blameless, still wasn't perfect and still could grow closer to God. And who is Jesus? Jesus was God who lived on earth, fully God, fully human, who lived a perfect life, right? And when we become saved, we go through what the Bible talks about, this sanctification, being set apart. Jesus was set apart from sin, we're more set apart each and every day. We go close, closer and closer to God, more like Him. Okay, and then the question I have is that um, you said He um, a lot of times God does this so they can come more closer, but sometimes they grow farther away because they think it's God's fault. Yep, and that can happen too. That, but that's what the enemy wants, right? You get to see that. That's what Satan wanted. But our love for God is a choice. He doesn't force us into it, right? And it was Job's choice to either curse God and walk away from him or to grow, draw closer to him. And Job chooses to draw closer to God. It's a choice. And, and yes, we can believe the lies of the enemy and that can lead us away from God, absolutely. Does that make sense? And if you're asking, well, why would God allow that, allow people to be led away? God gives everyone the desires of their heart. And if their heart's desire is to, to be mad at God and blame God when they don't understand what's going on, because God was pretty upset with the, the three friends that, that tried to point to Job, well, God must, must be mad at you. He must, you must have hidden sin in your life. So they misrepresented God, and he was not very happy with that. nothing that catches him by surprise. He, if, let's just say, um, something happens to me because it was on trial, kind of like what Job happened. Um, and I already was like kind of strong faith and I grew farther away from him. He knew that was going to happen though. He did. He did. It doesn't catch him by surprise. Because it's a testing of your heart, a testing of your faith, a testing of your love for him. Do you truly love him? Kind of like when Abraham had his one and only son in Isaac, right? And God says, okay, we go up on the mountain and sacrifice your son. And Abraham goes up on the mountain and we're told later that he believed, well, I'll sacrifice him, but this is God's promise of his son, so maybe 
God will raise this, my one and only son from the dead, is what Abraham thought, what Abraham believed. So, but what God was really asking Abraham was, do you love me more than this? Is there anything that you love more? And if, if Job was to, to be mad at God because he lost everything on this earth that he had, even his health, if he was mad at God because of that, then he really didn't love God, right? He really loved those things, those worldly possessions, more than he loved God, even his own children. If he loved his own children more than he loved God. And we serve a jealous God. God wants us to love him above everything else, right? So if God takes away everything we have and that causes us to walk away from God, then we really didn't love God, right? He wasn't the most important thing in our life. Does that make sense? Now, just because if you have a bad thing happen in your life and you get mad at God, can you repent of that? And will God forgive you and never bring it up again? Absolutely, he will, right? God doesn't leave us where we're at in the middle of the story. God didn't leave Job in the middle of the story. He finished it through to the end. And when he, God saw that those possessions and those worldly things weren't the most important thing to Job, what did he do? He was able to give him even more because that wouldn't, those things wouldn't distract Job from God. Does that make sense? Is that all the questions you have? Yes. Yes? You don't have any questions? No. No? How do you know, Kylie? I figured Kenny would have some good questions. This is a tough area. This is a tough thing to understand, right? Well, I got actually, um, I don't have a question, I have a comment, because I, but if, if I figured it out. All, this, all the messengers that came to Job and like all these, so the, I got a little lost because I was like, well, I, long time ago when I read this, one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding when the Sabians raided us. They stole all the animals, killed all the farmhands, and I am only one escaped. Then you go on and says, your sons and daughters were feasting. I thought they, I was like, well, how did Job stay alive if the wind came because I thought they were all in the same house. No, the brothers would each take turns having a feast at their house and they invite all the brothers and they invite their sisters as well. So all the kids would get together regularly to have a feast. But Job wasn't there when, because I was like, well, how did his wife? Job and his wife weren't there. So they were at their house. Yeah. So all the children were together when that happened and the house collapsed and they all died. And you can even think about that. Well, oh, that sounds awful. Why would God allow that to happen? Well, if Job's children believe in God, where are they now? They're in paradise with Jesus right now, right? So is that really all that bad? No. And if they don't, if they didn't believe in God, if they chose to reject him and wanted a life separate from him, God gave them what they wanted. They, at the end of their life, they'll live all of eternity separate from him. Difficult concepts to grasp, huh? But you just have to keep remembering we serve this very loving God, not an angry God who's looking to strike us down, a very loving God who's willing to sacrifice his one and only son for each one of us. Okay. Should we pray?
Dear Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for this time to come together to learn more about you. And just ask you would speak to each one of our hearts. That you would continue to reveal yourself more and more to us. That you would strengthen our faith in you. That you would strengthen our trust in you. That you would just help us to be a light and a witness to you this week and what we do. I ask you would continue to watch over the church family in Albuquerque and the loss of life that they've had. That you would continue to just bring comfort in a way that only you can. I ask you to do the same for our church family in Collins, Iowa. You'd bring comfort to them during their loss. You would just continue to bring healing to Matt's knees. I thank you for the healing that you brought to little Judah in a way that only you can. We're so thankful for that. I ask that you would just guide us this week in friendship and in fellowship with each other, with other believers, that we would encourage each other um, to do those good deeds that you've called us to. Continue to bring Christine's heart, healing to her heart, and guide the doctors. Continue to bring healing to Bonnie, guide the doctors. And just prayer for anyone that's going through the PTSD and the EMDR um, therapy, that you would give them patience and that you would give them endurance to make it through, that you would bring healing of mind through that process in a way that only you can. That you would strengthen and guide Ming this week um, and that you would give each one of us the right words to speak this week. You'd watch over the Sheriff's Department, the Police Department, protect them physically, protect them spiritually and their families. And that you would guide us to a church that we could support. That we'd come alongside. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.